Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the... Hello everybody and welcome to Finsider Radio. I am joined this week by Sutton, the creepy soccer dad. And I am MC Money. We have Houts MD doing what he does, uh, working his his you know what off, and getting ready for a huge Christmas party at work. Houts is one of the greatest chefs out there. He does a great job cooking food, although we've never tasted his food. He does send us photos from time to time. He will send us the chicken nuggets he he puts in the microwave and, and brings them out and everything else. So he is cooking that tonight for his holiday party <laughs> at work. He's he's getting his butt whooped by his uh, daughter, who's probably about a month or two old at this point, and we all know Sutton how that goes in the early stages. So just me and you, buddy, running tonight. We have a duet going here, and we are going to rock and roll and start right off the bat with the Miami Dolphins convincing an outstanding win against the Denver Broncos. They uh, defeated the Denver Broncos thirty-five to nine this past Sunday. Complete whooping of the. You know, I don't feel like bleeping anything else, so I'm just going to skip that. But you started off 2-0 to zero in the first quarter. You're like, all right, what's going on here? It's going to be a, a bad game between, you know, these two bad teams. And then the Dolphins started to run away with it. 14, to, uh, 14 points in the second quarter, 10 points in the third quarter, 9 points in the fourth quarter. All that equals 35 points. Broncos not scoring a touchdown, uh, three, uh, 3 points in the second quarter six points in the third quarter. So really, really good stuff from the Miami Dolphins and a lot of great individual and team efforts from Miami. Start out right off the bat, even Jay Cutler, 18 of 31 for 235 yards, quarterback rating of 76.7, not spectacular. But what I noticed, Sutton, is the Dolphins are moving the ball uh, very well against the Broncos and these uh, mind-boggling play calls that we were seeing in the early part of the season and in the middle part of the season seemed to be disappearing against the Broncos. It looked like the offense had a rhythm. It looked like the offense had a flow and everything was complementing each other on the offensive side of the ball. Kenny Stills com- continuing his uh, great stretch of a few weeks here, 98 yards on five receptions, 13 targets. So Kenny Stills, I mean, 13 targets, that's incredible. Obviously becoming a trustworthy, uh, confident of Jay Cutler, Jarvis Landry, six targets, five receptions, 62 yards. Kenya Drake doing it both on the ground and with his hands, 21 yards on three receptions for five targets. And on the ground, of course, which we'll talk about in just a little bit, 120 yards on 23 attempts, an average of 5.2 yards per carry. And then, of course, our boy Devontae Parker, one reception, five yards. And we will mention him as we move forward with the show. But let's start right off the bat, Sutton. The Dolphins coming into this game at 4-7, and seven, beating up on the Broncos to go to 5-7. and seven. And going into this game, I think pretty much just about 95% of Dolphins fans have written the Dolphins off. I included, you included. We all said, all right, let's start talking about the draft. And I know we were texting, we were talking in the Twitter chat that we have going on, and we all said... Let's let's look at the draft now. The Dolphins season is done. And then they come out with this. And and I think it's giving <laughs> people some hope, some cautious, optimistic hope. Because not everyone's admitting it, but if the Dolphins win out, 
they have a really good shot of making the playoffs. And for me, Sutton, I think that I'm getting excited about the hope for at least another few days because of the way they beat the Broncos, right? It's not like they squeaked out a victory against a bad team and they won 20 to 17. They dominated in all three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. If this is a preview of perhaps the Dolphins turning things around, perhaps uh, figuring out how to play complementary football with this current cast of players, perhaps Jay Cutler finding finally getting a good grasp of the playbook. Remember, a lot was made of him knowing the system that Gase runs, yes. But when coaches change teams, they'll usually change their terminology. So that's one. But number two, he has a whole new cast to figure out how to work with. And, you know, he was forcing the ball a lot to Devontae Parker early on in the season, forcing the ball to Ajayi running, you know, his own style, trying to force the ball to Landry a little bit. But now we see maybe that's shifting a little bit towards Stills, a little more towards Landry, a little more, and maybe uh, getting a repertoire with Julius Thomas there. So perhaps this is all coming around, Sutton, where the Dolphins may be turning the corner. Remember, in 2016, the Miami Dolphins started off the season very, very shaky. I think it was 0-4, 1-4, or 1-5, something like that. But it was that one game where they just clicked, right? And that game was against the Tennessee – not the Tennessee Titans. It was against the Pittsburgh Steelers where they just absolutely went off. 30-15, to Ajayi ran nuts. But that was the beginning of the turnaround for the Miami Dolphins. They went on from there to beat the Bills, the Jets, the Chargers, the Rams, the 49ers. So they won five in a row. And the Dolphins only need to win four in a row. Yeah, they're playing the Patriots Monday night, but they'll be without Gronkowski. But Sutton, do you think this is false hope? Or do you think the Dolphins can really maybe pull this off? Well, okay, first of all, we got to go back to the game against Denver, and you really hit the the nail on the head where all three phases were working that game. That's the first game I've seen all year where the offense, defense, and special teams is all clicking. Now, some of the the previous four wins that we've had, we've had certain groups click, but we haven't had that interdependent football team like we did on Sunday. So that was – that was a refreshing thing to see. Even if we lose out and we're just playing the draft position game, we're going to have some good tape of these young players because that game that we won, this was not be on our team in the future. They are. You know, Kenyon Drake is one of the reasons that we won this game. Xavier Howard is one of the reasons that we won this game. So you're seeing young players step up. And, and big-time positions and, and make some plays. So that was encouraging to see, especially for Xavier Howard, who I think has you know, had a little bit of shade thrown at him this year for his game tape so far, and perhaps rightfully so. But he put some excellent tape on Sunday down. So encouraging to see these young players start to develop a little bit more and be responsible for a win for us. So you got all three phases clicking. then the fact that the offense is spreading it around and what you're kind of alluding to there, MC money was we just got tunnel vision on who we were targeting and who we were trying to get the offense to go through. And it was so obvious that we weren't being very creative. And the fact that we're 
throwing to Julius Thomas or throwing to Kenyon Drake out of the backfield. We're getting Stills involved. We're getting Landry involved. We're still targeting Parker, but I don't, I'm sure we'll talk about him later, but I'm not sure what to make of Devontae Parker at this point right now. But the fact that we're spreading the ball around makes us a much more dangerous team because you don't know what we're going to do on offense. We could be targeting anybody on any given play. But the good news is for us is the whole hope, you know, if we're going to make the playoffs, all that kind of stuff, all that conversation is going to be decided on Monday night. We're not going to have to wait that long to find out how this is all going to work out. Monday night football against the New England Patriots, and one guy who's going to have his hands full is Xavier Howard. But Xavier Howard had a tremendous game against the Denver Broncos, one of those star players and in contention for the player of the week. He recorded two interceptions, picking off Broncos quarterback Trevor Simeon and returning at 30 yards for a touchdown in the second quarter and then intercepting Simeon again in the fourth quarter. That interception return for a touchdown was the first since Kiko Alonso won the San Diego game last season with a 60-yard interception on November 13th. The last time a Dolphins cornerback returned an interception for a touchdown, um, our buddy Brent Grimes in 2014. Howard became the first Dolphins player to have two interceptions in a game since, drumroll please, Tony Lippett when he did it against the Jets on December 17, 2016. Of course, Lippett on IR and something we all forget about uh, who could come back next year and solidify that cornerback crew just a little bit. Howard also had five passes uh, defense, and that's tied for the most in an NFL game this season. L.A. Chargers' Casey Hayward had five passes defensed on October 1st, 2017 versus Philadelphia. Now, this uh, was a milestone moment for Xavier Howard. It was his first two regular season interceptions of his career. He intercepted Ben Roethlisberger last season in the AFC wildcard game. But in terms of regular season, uh, this was his first. Now, Xavier Howard, there's been a ton of conversation about him. We even talked about him in length on this show several weeks ago because I had tweeted out something about him possibly being a bust. The problem with Xavier Howard has always been this, sign that he is inconsistent. He'll have one good game followed up with another decent game that followed up with two bad games. Or he'll have a good game in terms of you know defending the pass, but he'll have stupid penalties. Just like the entire Dolphins team, is this a moment where Xavier Howard is turning the corner and we may see him shine from here, or was it just a bad quarterback that he was going up against? I mean, I'd love to think this was his defining moment in the NFL, but like he said, he's going against Trevor Simeon, so it's kind of hard to to say if it was elite play. I mean, and he had other good plays other than the interception. He had a good pass breakup against Samarius Thomas in the first half and just liked his body language out there. It just seemed like he was competing. He was having fun and he was flying around. So that was good to see. Um, but again, going against Trevor Simeon. So it's, it's hard to be doing cartwheels over it. Of course, it's encouraging. This is a young player that we absolutely want to develop on the boundary. So we have, you know, Tankersley and Howard, a young duo growing up together and having cheap cornerback contracts, one of the premium positions in the NFL. So if we can get Xavier and Howard to turn that corner and develop into that number two corner for us. And I'm operating under the assumption that Tankersley is our number one, and I think the tape justifies that at this point. Right, yep. But 
I do think Xavier Howard can develop into a number two. And if not, I, I really did like Lippitt's tape and some of the plays that he's made. He has starting experience with the Dolphins already, so this is not going to be someone that's going to be scared of the opportunity. So would really love for this young secondary to continue to develop. Uh, even Bobby McCain, you got to throw him in there. But, you know, back to Xavier in particular, you just got to give him props for this particular game. Like you said, uh, inconsistent. He had a great game against the Jets that we went to last year. I thought he played a great game at MetLife, was all over the field. And that was one of his better games. But then, again, like you said, a couple games where you see some questionable things. So hopefully this is his, uh, this is his moment to shine, and he's going to have plenty of opportunities over the next four games to showcase what he can do. Definitely a great moment for Xavier Howard. Currently ranked, according to Pro Football Focus, number 111 out of 115 qualifying cornerbacks in the NFL, an overall grade of 39.4. But like we just said, and like we wonder, is this the moment where he starts turning the corner here? We don't know. We're going to take it one game at a time with Xavier Howard, but you mentioned Bobby McCain, and he is a stud. He has really improved. He is a Dolphins nickel corner. What I thought was interesting was this. After the game, Adam Gase, or was it the day after maybe, Adam Gase said that Bobby McCain also does a great job working on the outside on the boundaries. So it looks like they're trying to get him some work there. Of course, versatility is the key. When you have a great talent like Bobby McCain, you want to try to get him on the boundary if you can. So if Tankersley or Howard ever go down, or if Lippitt comes back and he goes down again, you can have that flexibility where you can move uh, McCain on the corner there. Now, the Dolphins' cornerback situation, you mentioned Tankersley as as a guy who looks like he could be a true number one. And, yes, he's struggled a little bit, but keep in mind he's a rookie cornerback. In the NFL, rookie cornerbacks usually do not fare very well. It usually takes them uh, about two to three years to really get their feet under them. There are obviously exceptions to that. Marshawn Lattimore, for example, in New Orleans uh, is having a hell of a year, ranked number three for PFF. But usually uh, the cornerbacks that are – you know, really figuring out their way in the NFL. It usually takes them about two to three years. So to have Tankersley showing this much promise year one is a great sign. Xavier Howard, really his second full season, uh, not even a full season because really he's played maybe 16, 18 games over the course of the past two seasons. So he's getting there step by step. So let's just hope it, it, it continues on and, and it carries on and he remains consistent because he's going to have a huge test against the New England Patriots. Another player who's going to have a huge test is running back Kenyon Drake. And boy, oh boy, did Kenyon Drake have a tremendous game against the Denver Broncos. 120 yards on the ground on only 23 attempts. An average of 5.2 yards per carry. Sutton, it was just the third start of his career on Sunday. And all this talk about Jay Ajayi, why did the Dolphins trade him? This is why the Dolphins traded Jay Ajayi. It was Drake's First 100-yard game of his career. They were both career highs, not only in the NFL, but were his highest totals in attempts and yards since his high school career. That's right. His 23 carries and 120 yards were both career highs, not only here in the NFL, not only in college, but since his high school career. His longest rush of the day was for a 42-yard touchdown. It was his third 40-yard run of the season, which is tied for the most in the NFL. As as of the 1 o'clock p.m. games on Sunday, Kansas City's Kareem Hunt 
and Chicago's Jordan Howard also have three 40-yard, 40-plus-yard runs, but both have at least 100 more rushing attempts than Drake's 65 carries this season. Sutton, do we have a future stud running back on our hands? God, I hope so. And one of the biggest question marks that I think all of us had about Kenyon Drake was, well, is he nothing more than a good complimentary piece in a committee or could he be a feature back? And you saw some tape on Sunday that he could be a feature back. Now I'm not going to get ahead of myself and assume that this is going to be a consistent product because I'm not. And I also remember that he's had two fumbles so far. So that's going to be one thing that he absolutely unquestionably cannot do the rest of the season. That is fumble or he's going to start to lose some trust. And as soon as you lose some trust like that, your opportunities disappear. So as encouraged as we were, and believe me, this tape was awesome. He was met in the backfield a couple of times. I mean, almost instantaneously and was able to elude a couple guys and, and turn something into something from nothing. And then there were a couple plays that got called back from penalty that he had made that ended up getting called back because of some holding penalty that wasn't really involved in the, the making of the play. Anyway, he ran with power. That was one thing that I wasn't sure he was able to do. So I, I, I didn't see him shy away from collisions. I didn't see him uh, dancing around too much. I, I thought that he did a good job falling forward too when he when he hit the hole. And he was it was an impressive game. And that the big I don't know how he did that. It just looked like he squirted through the defense. Honestly, it was it was an awesome play to watch and. We just have a – he's a – he makes plays. I mean, he's been doing it since his rookie year. He makes plays for us somehow, some way. And this is a dude that you want to give opportunity to as much as it justifies it. And that game on Sunday certainly justifies a, a big workload on Monday night too. Now we saw a, quite a few running backs have really good weeks in the NFL this past week. Alvin Kamara, of course, the leader there in terms of turning heads and everything else. But also Alex Collins had a great uh, weekend. So did C.J. Anderson of the Denver Broncos against the Dolphins. Now, you look at those three names and you look at Kenya Drake, right? Okay, 120 yards. Yeah, that's fine. But wouldn't you know, PFF graded him the highest graded running back for week 13. And not only was he the highest graded running back, Sutton, he was the highest graded running back by... Quite a bit. 95.9 was his overall grade. Next in line was Alvin Kamara at 90.2. Alex Collins at 87.1. CJ Anderson at 86.9. So Drake turned heads in his first start as the full-time starter with Damian Williams on the shelf. The Dolphins are certainly looking at him as possibly a featured back moving into the future. But would that mean the Dolphins pass up on an absolute stud like Saquon Barkley in the upcoming NFL draft. Adam Gase at a recent press conference said that he doesn't like featured backs, that he likes to rotate guys in and out. But is that really the truth? Son, I want to get your opinion first on that before I give mine. Historically in his offenses, I I don't know that you can say that that's true. I, th- I think you 
what he said in the past is you ride the hot hand and stuff like that. And I think he's pretty flip floppy about running backs in the press, to be honest with you. I think he will do whatever he has with his team. So I don't think he would shy away from having a, a stud on this team. If he perceives that Saquon Barkley is a, a blue chipper, that's going to change how this, how this team functions going forward then I think he would, you know, go for it. But uh, I, I don't I don't know that you can make any anything in particular about uh, his his stance towards running backs because he's he's kind of changed what he said in press conferences. And then when you look at some of the Bronco offenses and the and the Bear offenses, you've seen both things play out. So what do you think? You're right, Sutton. And when you look at the past teams of Adam Gase and you look at who his running backs were, it doesn't really fit in to the statement that he likes to rotate guys in and out. So you look at Adam Gase, he was the offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos of the 2013 and 2014 season. During the 2013 season, his main running back was Noshawn Moreno. And Noshawn Moreno played uh, 16 games. He started 15 of them. And he had 241 rushes for 1,038 yards, 10 touchdowns. That's not a guy who came out of the game a lot. In 2014, Moreno went on to Miami. We all knew what kind of violent runner he was, but injuries plagued him. In 2014, C.J. Anderson was the guy who kind of took the took the role there in Denver. And he kind of turned it on there pretty well, and he kind of broke out there. 179 at rushing attempts for 849 yards. Again, a guy who's not coming out of the game a lot. And actually, uh, in that, you know, the next running back behind um, C.J. Anderson doesn't is Ronnie Hillman, who had uh, 106 attempts for 434 yards. Then you look at his days in Chicago, and you got Matt Forte as the lead guy with Jordan Howard sprinkled in. And then even last year with Jay Ajayi as the main running back, it, it doesn't jive with his past. And I think what we're seeing, Sutton, is the Dolphins really sending out some smoke screens quite early? And it's very smart of them because you could look at these press conferences right now and you could try to analyze it and you have no idea where the Dolphins will go. Oh, and I, this is a, yeah, this is a tremendous move on their part. Go ahead. I, absolutely. And I completely agree with you. And I'll also throw out the fact that you should expect a lot of elusive answers about the quarterback position because it's going to be in the Dolphins' best interest to keep that completely mum and throw everybody completely off because the quarterback position is the one thing. Like, yes, we could address it, absolutely. But it's also in our best interest that if we don't want to address quarterback, to create the illusion that we do because so many teams are quarterback needy these days. So you want to be able to, you know, manipulate the draft and hopefully create some draft partners there. So um, expect elusive quarterback answers from the Dolphins going forward. It's really great stuff that that we're seeing here with the Dolphins and then sending out smoke screens this early, because if you have a talent like Saquon Barkley there in your lap, wherever you're drafting and you'd pass him up, I think you're absolutely insane. Some are saying he's the best player in this entire draft. And I can tell you that uh, the Dolphins had Ezekiel Elliott ranked at the very top of their draft board, and they wanted him. Of course, the Cowboys drafted him early, and you could see how much of an impact he has made with the Cowboys and the uh, how much 
their offense has hurt when they haven't had him in the in the offense the past few weeks. So Saquon Barkley, you have a tremendous talent, despite even what Kenyon Drake does. Oh, but that's where it gets tough, right? That's when you start looking at BPA versus need. And I've been tooting the horn that you go BPA no matter what. The Dolphins could have had Reuben Foster or Dalvin Cook, who were the two players on the board at the time they drafted Charles Harris. Yeah, we had Jay Ajayi, but look at, I mean, you got no one now. And then if he does really want to rotate, imagine a duo of Saquon Barkley and Kenyon Drake. I mean, <laughs> yeah, who is going to stop that? That would be ridiculous chess pieces right there. That would be absolutely insane. And we're going to have to see how that plays out. I mean, I don't think, I don't think the Dolphins have a shot at Saquon Barkley because I think to have a shot, you need to be drafting in the top three or top five. I think he makes perfect sense for someone like the San Francisco 49ers who now have their quarterback who had uh, bolstered their defense in last year's draft. And you put Saquon Barkley with Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo, watch out. That team is going to be dangerous. Give them a few years. I think I'm going to become a 49ers fan on the side here after the Dolphins. Uh, that, that team is going to be dangerous with Kyle Shanahan running the offense there and running the team. Then you had someone like Saquon Barkley there. I don't know. That's just crazy. But if the Dolphins do somehow have a chance at him, you don't pass them up. And regardless of what Adam Gase says. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Sutton. We'll have to see how it plays out. How excited would you be if the Dolphins somehow drafted Saquon Barkley? Oh, man, that would be pretty absurd just because I'm I'm kind of leaning towards – and obviously these are early stages, so don't get all pissed at us because we change our minds over time about how you want to approach a draft. But, man, I, I'm certainly more leaning towards a defensive approach to the draft, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And – just because I believe that if you can get the defense to an elite level, and I, I think that's the one key in the NFL these days, is you want to have one elite unit, whether it's offense or defense. One of those things are going to be able to keep you in games all the time. If you just kind of have average mediocre on both sides, it usually is not going to work out too well. So I think the defense is the path to least resistance for us in terms of getting to an elite unit. Yep. But – with that being said, when you have Ryan Tannehill coming back at quarterback, if we can perhaps address the offensive line and free agency a little bit, maybe clean up the tight end position a little bit, if you can get another playmaker like Saquon Barkley in there with Kenyon Drake and you have Stills, Landry, and Parker all at wide receiver – those are a lot of pieces on offense that you can work with. So if, if you can get Saquon Barkley, get a couple defensive draft picks to maybe fill out the defensive end position, some linebacker help, perhaps even an, a, another corner because you can never have too many of those, then, yeah, we, we, can, we can cut a lot of fat pretty quickly and, and, and get back into this playoff contender sort of team instead of this inconsistent roller coaster that we've been on. And one guy, the Dolphins fans were very excited about this past drive was Raquan McMillan. And they were, we were all looking forward to him contributing because look at, we have struggled at the linebacker position for years. 
And uh, the Dolphins have not spent a high draft pick on a linebacker in in a long time. And when Raekwon McMillan was the pick in the second rounds, we were all very excited because he was a stud player coming out of Ohio State. Someone was going to put in there in the middle and make an impact from day one. Except in the first preseason game on special teams, he tears his ACL. And uh, Dolphins don't have him this year. But the special teams has not really suffered, which is um, not because of Raekwon McMillan, because he would have been playing special teams and the special teams unit was already good to begin with, but because of the ability of Darren Rizzi to pull together all these guys, all the guys who have, you know, rotating in and out of the roster and, and really get them to play together. And we saw against the Denver Broncos just how special these special teams can be. They forced a safety on the punt in the fourth quarter when Chase Allen forced a fumble that was recovered by Denver in the end zone and tackled by running back Centuries Perry. That was when uh, the Denver Broncos receiver was just absolutely insane for keep running to keep running backwards, ended up in the end zone, and before you knew it, it was a safety. They also had a, a great you know coverage on the returns, and Fade did block a bunt, uh, block a punt. He blocked punter Riley Dixon's punt in the third quarter. It was the second blocked punt of his career after he blocked one versus Minnesota on December 21st, 2014. That one resulted in a safety to win the game with less than a minute remaining. And then, of course, you all know what happened after that where Joel Philbin got his contract extension. Now, Fide, who has been a beast on special teams and also shown some flashes on defense, his two career blocked punts are tied for the third most with three others in team history behind only the three career blocked punts by Tim Foley and Jimmy Wilson. Miami's last blocked punt came on December 17, 2016, when Walt Aikens blocked the punt and returned it for a touchdown. It was the third blocked punt of the blocked kick of the season for the Dolphins. Vincent Taylor, defensive tackle, blocked field goals against the Jets and at Baltimore. Now, it wasn't just the defensive side of special teams who was having a great day. Matt Hawk had seven punts inside the 20-yard line. Let me repeat that. Matt Hawk, seven punts inside the 20-yard line. We were blasting him several weeks ago for not getting the job done. He rebounded in a huge way. This was the most in team history since records date back to 1976. The seven punts inside the 20 were the most in the NFL this season and most by an NFL punter since December 27, 2015. Hawk's seven punts inside the 20 are tied for the third most in the NFL since records date back to 1976. The record is eight, shared by Jacksonville's Brian Barker in 1999 and Pittsburgh's Mark Royals in 1994. And as we previously mentioned, one of his punts resulted in a safety. The kickoff team also had an onside kick where it was speculated that Adam Gates was trying to rub it into John Elway's face, and we'll touch on that just as shortly. But for you, Sutton, you know, the special teams played great complementary football to the defense and offense, and it's really what we needed to see from them to help turn the momentum of the game. Definitely the best special teams performance that we've seen this year. And you said that, you know, we, we have blocked a couple of kicks, but to, to block a punt there, we would have had incredible field position had it not been for the unnecessary roughness that happened after the play. But anyway, we still manufactured that in a point. You know, and, and Jakeem Grant still, he's not fumbled a punt. I know I'm going to say it. 
Jakeem Grant has still not fumbled a punt, and this was his best return game so far. I know we've seen flashes in the pan, but you, you saw a commitment to going in and then going out. And what I mean by that is sometimes you see young returners, when, when, they, when they gather the kick or the punt, they want to go immediately out. And veteran special teams members are able to cut that angle off at an incredible rate and be able to, to limit the return. To be able to get in and then get out, that's when you can really make some dangerous plays on special teams. And Jakeem Grant seemed to want to go vertical first and then get horizontal. And that's kind of what I mean by in and out. So he's getting vertical down the field and then is able to bounce it out. And you saw that a couple of times on Sunday. And he looked pretty fluid. So I'm hoping that he's going to catch his stride as a returner and be able to just add another dimension to this team. We will certainly look forward to that when he comes back in, and also, you know, on special teams and the defensive side of the ball. And I know we do have a few questions from the Finsider mailbag, not only in regards to Raekwon and Villain, but also the future of this team and how they're going to play out the rest of the season. So let's jump over to the mailbag, and Sutton, what is one question that we have going on here? All right, I got one from CJ Fitz 19 he wants to know what's up with Devontae Parker. I mean, he does not care enough to get better or demand the ball more. Is he just not good? Has he given up on the season? Is he still injured? Everything was lining up for him to have a big year, but just hasn't come. And, I mean, I can just echo the sentiments of in the preseason. I think we were all pretty high on Devontae. I think this is a great question. A lot of, a lot of fans are thinking about this very thing. What do you think? Matthew. Yeah, Devontae Parker, man, I think he's a bust. I think he's a bust because he's soft, he's mentally weak, and I don't I don't think he's going to get it together in Miami. He may end up being a good receiver. He may finally hit that light bulb, but it's not going to be in Miami. I think his time in Miami is, has been worn out. I don't think he can ever regain the confidence that he may need. Uh, I, I just don't think it's going to ever work out in Miami, unfortunately. I saw a stat that I think it was three of the uh, past – I don't know what it was, but it was something like three of the past five throws or, or something towards Devontae Parker. I think, it's, I think it's five of the last nine. Five of the last nine throws or three of them were intercepted, right? Something like that. So, something like that. It was really bad, and I don't have it right in front of me. But it, it's – it's not good for Devontae Parker. And the Dolphins bet on a Devontae Parker so they wouldn't have to pay Jarvis Landry. But they are seeing that blow up in their face. They're going to have to overpay Jarvis Landry. They cannot afford to lose Jarvis Landry at this point. No way, no how with Devontae Parker uh, not doing anything that would actually make them consider having him as part of their long-term future in that wide receiver room. So I think the Dolphins will move on from him. I think it's possible we see him traded in this year's offseason or the upcoming draft. And I think they just wash their hands and then go from there. Next question. All right. We got one from John Mann. What do you guys think of Matt Burke? And should the Finns go in a dif- different direction next year? Yes, please. So, Matt Burke, I think this is a huge test for him on Sunday. He's been up and down all season. He started off really, really well. And then he fizzled out there once defense, well, offensive started adjusting to his defense. 
But Sunday's going or Monday's going to be a huge test for him because the Patriots absolutely embarrassed him in his defense, not last week, but the week before. And Matt Burke is a smart, smart guy. Really smart guy. If he comes back against the Patriots on Monday night and figures out a way to shut them down or at least contain them as best as possible without getting embarrassed, I think Matt Burke will be then be the guy. If Matt Burke gets embarrassed once again for the second time in three weeks, he is not the guy and the Dolphins should move on. Whether or not Gase moves on from him, I don't know. But something to keep an eye on is Vance Joseph in Denver, where he is on the hot seat already. And if they lose out, he probably will be gone. And Adam Gase will probably bring him back. But would he get rid of Matt Burke or demote Matt Burke again to bring Vance Joseph back? It's going to be an interesting dynamic and situation to watch as the rest of the season continues. All right, what else? Yeah, a couple more questions about the defense, so let's stay after it. Miami Man X asks, what will the defense have learned from the first game to stop the blown assignments? And I, I assume he's referencing the, the Patriots game that's coming up. Yep. Matt Burke needs to step up and see if we can get Brady winging about being hit a lot again. Fins up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the blown assignments, we've we've seen the tape on that. That's clearly been an issue with the Miami Dolphins defense, especially on the back end, especially with the linebacker unit. Not having Gronkowski in this game certainly helps the linebackers because we know that he would have been a very, very obvious weapon for the Patriots. Now, they're still going to be able to do their West Coast dink and dunk sort of thing, but uh, we might have more of a fighting chance uh, not having Gronkowski matched up on our linebackers might have a fighting chance there. Yeah, we'll talk about Gronkowski in a little bit and his actions. But, yeah, like I just mentioned, yeah. Burke cannot get embarrassed again for the second time in three weeks. There is absolutely no way he can let that happen to him. If he does, he's not the guy. All, All right. right. Anything I else have on a, the I have another mailbag? Interesting question about the defense. The question I have is, can the Finns have a more efficient defense by switching to a 3-4 defense instead of the 4-3? And this is from Brad Finn. There's been some rumors about that. And Adam Gates, when he was hired, kind of hinted at that, that he was a 3-4 guy. And in pretty much every stop where he's been, the defense has ran a 3-4. Now, obviously, he's not the head coach, but he was the offensive coordinator, so he saw how well the 3-4 can work. And while you might say the Dolphins don't have the personnel, Simon Clancy actually had a good point a few weeks ago on Twitter where he said that you would do this. You'd have Vincent Taylor probably play the nose spot. Um, You'd have Sue go to the outside there on the defensive line, even Gonshaw maybe on the outside a little bit. You'd have Cameron Wake move back and play the outside linebacker position along with McMillan and Alonzo. And then Stefan Anthony you throw in there as well. And Andre Branch and Charles Harris can also play perhaps that outside linebacker position and, and go from there and then draft to fill in the rest of the holes. So I think it could be possible. Vance Joseph also hinted at it when he was here. They all both said that they would go with the 4-3 because that's the personnel the Miami Dolphins had at that time. But I do think eventually, if Adam Gase is here long enough, that the Dolphins will switch to a 3-4 before it's all said and done. All right. Anything else? Yeah. One more question from Redwood. He, he had another question about Devontae Parker, but we've covered that. He's asking about Jay Cutler. said he looked comfortable in the pocket, you know, threw a number of 20-plus yard passes. Do you think this is a new Jay Cutler, or did inverse fourth-ranked passing defense somehow give him opportunities that other teams to date have not? 
And what I, what I saw was just what we talked about earlier, spreading the ball around. And that makes it so much harder on defenses to key in on something. You don't want defenses keying in on anything. And when we are spreading the ball around the stills and Landry, getting Landry – or I'm sorry, getting uh, Kenyon Drake his carries, dumping it off to him in the backfield – when you're doing all those sorts of things, it's hard for any defense to keep up with that. So if we're able to spread the ball around like that, it's going to be hard for any defense to stop those kind of things. All right. What else do we have? That's it. We got it covered, brother. All right. We do have a few on Twitter. Let's jump over to there from the Finsider mailbag on a twitter.com. That great website that we all love to take part of. It's Blaine asks, Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield are looking at Dolphins right in the face in round one. Do they pass or select one? If so, which one and why? If Baker Mayfield is there when the Dolphins are on the clock, I am running to the podium with Baker Mayfield's name on the paper, and I am selecting him. He is, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the draft by a mile. His confidence level is off the charts, and he will do wonders to the confidence level of those around him. Now you ask, what do you do with Ryan Tannehill? Here's what you do with Ryan Tannehill. You trade him. You pick up probably a third and a fourth or a third and a fifth, and you keep going, and you stockpile, and you draft players to surround Baker Mayfield with. It's not the popular answer, but in my opinion, it's the right answer. All right. That's it from me. How about you, Sutton? What would you do in that situation? I mean, I wouldn't be quite as front row Beatles concert like paint <laughs> over Baker Mayfield like you just did but yeah I would yeah it'd be hard to not turn that card in at this point I mean it's quarterback is just the most it's unbelievable how important that position is in the NFL so to have somebody that's capable of sustaining your franchise for several years at that position you can't you can't mess that up and then with Tannehill, you would just kind of – you would bridge the gap however it makes the most sense. It would be kind of a fluid situation. And I think Tannehill, he would be the type of veteran that would handle that with class. I have no question that that would be a, a very capable quarterback room and a great dynamic between those two players. I sincerely doubt that we would – this scenario would ever come to fruition, but you never know. So – um, but I would do what you did, MC Money. I'd turn that card in. One scenario that may come to fruition before the end of our lifetime is the NFL not being around anymore. That's because if you watched Monday Night Football, you saw some absolutely vicious and ugly hits from the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cincinnati Bengals. And one hit that wasn't dirty from anybody but showed just how crazy this game could be was from Ryan Shazier, who went in ahead first tackling a guy and, and just collapsed to the ground. And as of right now, we're recording this on a Tuesday night, and there is no firm update about Shazier's status in terms of how he's doing. They're just saying he's progressing. The reports were he did get a, a little bit of feeling in his legs this morning, Tuesday morning but they're keeping it very quiet, which is not good news. Uh, He may never play a snap in the NFL again. He may never be able to walk again. Obviously, we all hope that he can walk. But Sutton, we saw Shazier. We saw Juju Smith uh, 
put a licking on Vante, Vantez Bursit, and whether you like the guy or not, that was an absolutely crazy hit where he got knocked unconscious. We saw Joe Mixon go out with a concussion. And then Rob Gronkowski, uh, absolutely stupid move on him, egregious move where he purposely falls right onto a guy and gives him a concussion. Do you think, I mean, we were talking about this last night in our Twitter chat, but it's possible that the NFL may not be around in 15 to 20 years the way this keeps going. And I hate to say it, but there's going to be a day where we see some NFL player pass away on the football field. And, and as morbid as that sounds, as sick as that sounds, the way this game is progressing with stronger players, faster players, and more players who think they're invincible, I think it may come to that one point. Obviously, we hope to God it never happens. But for me, I think it's not going to last for the rest of our lifetimes if we obviously live to the average life expectancy of 67, 70 years old, whatever it may be. Someone compared it once to saying, you know how we sit here and talk about the gladiators and how barbaric that was and how we couldn't even imagine them fighting each other to the death. People are going to talk about the NFL like that 30, 40, 50, hundreds of years from now where it was just some brutal, brutal sport. So, and your thoughts? Wow. I mean, this is a very deep subject, something that we could probably have an entire podcast on. And you've, you've You've already seen legal scares in the NFL in terms of concussions and CTE and stuff like that. So that could be the death of the NFL. It could be, like you said, some of the the targeting that's happening and ruining someone's career, someone's livelihood. You know, I, I, I don't know if you mentioned the uh, Georgia Loca hit on Antonio Brown. That was a clear head-to-head crown to bottom of chin defenseless defenseless receiver scenario and Antonio Brown somehow made the catch, but man, he got drilled just right in the face. And um, that was a hard game to watch, to be honest with you. Obviously you want to see a hard fought division battle. You want to see some good football. What I saw last night was not good football. And, you know, I, I think what it really stems down to is the technology of the equipment that we have in terms of the helmets and stuff. Can it, can it evolve as fast as linebackers bodies are evolving and safeties bodies are evolving and defensive ends bodies are evolving and wide receiver and running back bodies. I mean, we're talking about running backs playing right now that are the same height and weight that centers were when this game was invented. So I don't know that this game was designed to have these just incredible physical specimens playing this game. So the technology just has to evolve in a way that makes this game safe and that we can play with that kind of speed without risking people's lives to that point where it's a very salient conversation to have is, I mean, it is football too dangerous. I think, I mean, you're going to have the people, the, the players that can only turn to football because that's all they know, right? We're going to have the players who will do anything to get out of the situation. They're in the poverty they're in and they'll look at football as a way to get out. 
we'll always have those people that will never change. But we'll also have the people who look at all the reports and the research out there and make the decision for their kids that their kids are not going to play football. And what we're going to end up seeing is at the youth level, it's going to dwindle and dwindle considerably and already has started dwindling. That's going to trickle up, obviously, as the year goes on. And then eventually the talent pool is going to be so bad that perhaps people just stop watching the NFL altogether. And then from there, ratings will drop and they'll lose money and so forth. The NFL has to do something. They cannot admit that they are responsible for CTE because then they're going to have to pay every single player that's ever played in the NFL or currently plays in the NFL. They will have a massive lawsuit on them. They won't be able to survive it. So they can't admit it as much as we want them to admit it. And they know this. They know football causes CTE. But obviously, from a legal standpoint, they can't say anything. But they have well, to do something. They have to do and, something. And Matthew, and that's there's a reason that so many players are donating their brain to science. It's their goal is not to undermine the game of football. Their their goal is to bring about the truth of the subject. And the fact of the matter is that the truth of the subject might be the death of the NFL, and that's. The unfortunate situation, but it's a truth that I think fans like me who have rooted for the NFL players and teams for a long time, I'm not going to root for a sport that these players feel like is endangering their lives. And that's why they're donating their brain to, to science. Is there a way that we can keep this game going without such devastating effects. And I think that's what I meant earlier by this interplay between the technology of the sport and the bodies of the people playing it. You just want to find that perfect middle ground, that perfect balance of having uh, violence with precision and being able to um, help some of these players. And it's clear that football's had a ultra, ultra negative impact on some people physically. I can't imagine my life without the NFL. I mean, this podcast is about the NFL. We tweet about the NFL. We watch NFL Monday, Thursday, Sundays. Fantasy football rules the world. And I just can't imagine it. But at the end of the day, it's about people's safety. It's about families. I mean, imagine Shazier's family sitting there in Pittsburgh last night, wherever they may have been, watching this game. They weren't in the stands because... Pittsburgh sent a private plane to, to the Shazier family to pick them up to bring them to Cincy last night. But imagine wherever they're sitting and they see their son, their brother, their friend, their cousin just fall on a turf like that and go limp, get carried off. All the reports are running rampant on Twitter. No updates coming out. Obviously, they got the updates of what was going on because they're family. But imagine, and that happens every week. Wives, husbands, because there are out there um, that we don't know about, obviously, but wives, husbands, kids, nephews, nieces, friends who sit there and just watch. And it's not just about us. It's about everyone else out there. So it's it's going to be a, a situation the NFL is going to have to navigate through, and it's starting, and they're going to have to figure it out. Otherwise, I don't think the NFL will be around in 20 to 30 years. And that was depressing. <laughs> so let's move on, although we're going to move on and wrap up the show. 
but that's the reality of the situation that we are in right now. And I think the Steelers versus Bengals game shed a light on that, especially being on national television and for the entire world to watch. Now, over the past few weeks, we've done the interview segment with the press conference with Adam Gase, Matt Burke, and Clyde Christensen. This week, we are not doing it. We figured we want to do it with all three of us here. And we mentioned at the top of the show, House is busy with work and holiday parties and such. So we're going to skip that this week, but we have appreciated the feedback. We are still working to tweak it and improve it. So if you have any feedback for us, please tweet it our way. Put it on the Finsider.com. Put it in one of the comment threads on the mailbag or the podcast link. And, and we will keep adjusting and doing whatever we can to bring you the best possible show that is out there. So and any last thoughts from you as the Dolphins head into Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots? Nah, I mean, just treasure the fact that we still have four games left to play in this season. As much as we bitch and complain during the season about what happens with the Dolphins, there are many more days and months out of this year that we don't have football. So just appreciate the fact that we're going into this game, that anything can happen. Yes, we're, what, 11.5-point underdogs at this point, something like that. It didn't matter last year when we were 14-point underdogs playing against Pittsburgh. So let's just go in swinging and – Let's keep putting some good tape down like we did on Sunday. Listen, the Patriots struggle in Miami. They don't come down and beat up the Dolphins every year. Even when the Dolphins were their worst, the Dolphins have still found ways to beat them. So in no way is this game a gimme for the Patriots. Enjoy the hope for the next few days because if the Dolphins lose, their hope is gone. If the Dolphins win, their hope is alive. They need to win out to have any chance at the playoffs. Uh, pretty much because the focus is really on the Titans. They're going to need to lose three of their next four to get to nine and seven. And if that happens, the Dolphins hold the tiebreaker over them. The Titans have the Cardinals, 49ers, Rams, and Jaguars. You figure definite losses against the Rams and Jaguars. Then you hope either the Cardinals or the 49ers can take care of business against them. Everyone else who has six losses at this point will beat each other up over the next few weeks. So there is hope. There is a chance but the Dolphins need to beat the Patriots, the Bills twice, and the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll see how it shakes out over the next four weeks. But for this week, that is it for Finsider Radio. Enjoy the game on Monday Night Football. We hope you enjoyed our show this week with Sutton and I. And we will hopefully have Houts back to join us as we hopefully recap a Miami Dolphins victory over the New England Patriots. If not, we will be in full off-season mode because that will be the end of the season for the Miami Dolphins for all intents and purposes. But for Sutton, the Creepy Soccer Dad, I am MC Money. Thank Miami you for listening to Fitsider Radio, and we'll talk team. to you next time. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl because we're the Miami Dolphins.
Cause we're the Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins number one Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins Miami Dolphins number one Everybody Miami O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Kerryu, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.